I invite you to Matthew chapter 18, beginning with verse 21, and we're going to finish up this chapter this morning as we are studying through the gospel of Matthew together. Here we are at the last part of chapter 18. We have 10 more chapters to go in this wonderful account of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a privilege we have had to walk with the Lord uh, together and uh, hear him and see him in his ministry of grace and truth. As we said last uh, Sunday, Matthew 18 is really the uh, chapter addressing different aspects of sin and how we face sin and deal with the consequences of sin each and every day. And that theme continues on in, in our passage this morning. I'm reading from the English Standard uh, Version. If you do not have a Bible, we have Bibles in our overflows and also Bibles in, on the table in our vestibule. We would love for you to pick up a copy today as our gift to you. If you're able, would you please stand in honor of the reading of this portion of Scripture. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused. And went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Thank you. A lesson on true forgiveness. As always, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us maybe especially today with this very difficult, difficult grace of forgiveness. Father, we come before you and we continue, Lord, to call upon your name. We continue to approach your throne of grace in our 
collective corporate worship today. We're so thankful to be here, to be able to sing praises to your name, to be able to acknowledge that you are our God, our Savior, our Father. To be able to sing these songs to you, Lord, to be able to be here with our Bibles and with our faith in Christ. It truly is a wonderful blessing and grace. Lord, we know that each and every time we gather that you are at work, your spirit is moving and you are speaking. Your word is alive and active and powerful and you are shaping us, Lord, and and molding us and making us more and more like Christ. That we might enjoy life in you and that we might be a blessing to others, that we might be a witness to those without you compelling them to faith in you. You minister to our needs and and our discouragements, Lord, and our, our weaknesses and our sins and all of these things, Father, you are... You are shaping us, Lord, and building your church today. And we give you praise and we give you glory for that. And especially when we look together at this subject matter of forgiveness. That is often and and sometimes a very, very difficult matter. One in which, Father, we confess at times is, is truly beyond us. And we desperately need your grace and your strength and your direction to be able to forgive others as you have forgiven us. And so we ask you, Lord, to do that great work in our hearts that that is beyond us, to work that grace in our lives that we may be a forgiving people displaying that we have been forgiven much. Again, we ask all of this, that you might be glorified, Lord, that the gospel might be compelling, that our faith might increase and be stronger, that our affections for you might grow deeper, that that our love for God and our love for others, Lord, may expand and that we might be the people, the, the brothers and sisters that you've called us to be. And for some of us, Lord, maybe many of us, that's going to begin today with us forgiving one another as you continue to build your church. So, Lord, help us to the praise of your glory, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So, last Sunday, we looked at that previous section, verses 15 through 20. We looked at that, that process, that four-step process of pursuing reconciliation when a brother sins against us. That is, a, a, a fellow believer sins against us, a fellow professor of faith. And in order for that, that reconciliation to occur, the one who has offended must be able to recognize that offense, recognize that sin, admit that fault, confess that, and repent of that in order to open the the avenue for reconciliation. 
So if that doesn't happen, though, if that, if that sinner displays a, a defiant, ongoing unrepentance, he, the Scripture was teaching us that he, he proves himself to be an unbeliever because repentance is a mark of true faith. Unrepentance is a mark of unbelief. And if he, if he continues to choose to remain in sin and ourselves to be an unbeliever who continues down that path. But if he listens, if he listens to the prayerful, humble, loving rebuke of fellow believers, if he does indeed repent of his sin, then he is restored to fellowship, not only with that one that he has offended, but in fellowship with God and and giving a witness to the gospel, showing himself to be a true follower of Christ. That's one side of reconciliation. Reconciliation has two sides. There are two people involved. There is the one who has sinned and the one who has been sinned against. And there is a work of grace that needs to take place in the one who has sinned. That's called repentance. And there is a work of grace that needs to take place in the one who has been sinned against. And that grace is called forgiveness. And today's text addresses that other side of reconciliation. When someone sins against us, we, we should not only seek for their re- repentance and their restoration, but we must also be ready to forgive. And once repentance has taken place on the one side and forgiveness, true forgiveness has taken place on the other side, then and only then can meaningful, true reconciliation be complete. But as the saying goes, and you've heard it many times, forgiveness is easier said than done. If someone sins against us, we might find it, we might find verses 15 through 20 a little bit easier than verses 21 through 35. We might find confronting them in their sin and calling them to repentance to be a little bit easier task than forgiving them for the hurt that they've caused the natural easy sinful reaction on our part would be to hold on to that hurt keep a a lock and key on that grudge and to allow bitterness and hatred to fester and grow in our hearts that's the easy natural sinful reaction as with all sins at first, bitterness feels, it feels right. I mean, he's a bad person. He's done a bad thing. I should never have anything ever to do with him ever again. That sounds right. That feels right. I shouldn't like him. I shouldn't trust him. I shouldn't ever speak to him again. But that bitterness will slowly drain us of any capacity to trust anyone. And it will kill our joy of fellowship. It will begin to isolate us. That bitterness will become a a wall in our heart and, and around our faith and will begin to lock us in and lock us down. And slowly but surely, unforgiveness will make us miserable and will make us miserable company. Forgiveness will actually free us. 
It actually frees us. Now, it doesn't feel good at first. It feels like the offender is getting off too easy. You mean just just forgive him? But in the long run, a heart free from anger and hurt is a heart that's free to love, free to trust, free to take chances, free to believe, free to go the extra mile, free to love. You see, when someone sins against us, God's God's work is not finished when repentance occurs in the offender's heart. It's only complete when God has worked his grace of forgiveness in our own hearts. Forgiveness is this. Forgiveness is learning to delight in the forgiveness of God and letting the bitterness go. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is learning to delight in the forgiveness of God and letting the bitterness go. So let's walk together again through this passage and and glean these truths and ask for God to work this wonderful grace in our hearts. And the first thing we see in just the first two verses is that true forgiveness knows no limits. True forgiveness knows no limits. Now, Peter probably thought Jesus was about to give him a high five at any moment. I mean, he thought probably by this question that Jesus was going to say, boy, you got it, Peter. Because, you see, back in the day, rabbinic discussion would say, you forgive someone three times, but if they keep on committing the same sin against you after that third time, by the fourth offense, you don't have to forgive them anymore. They've crossed the line. They've gone too far. There is an end to being so forgiving. And so, instead of three strikes and you're out, for them it was four strikes and you're out. And so, Peter was probably thinking, well, I'll just, I'll double that three and, and, and add another one to it. And so, surely that's going the extra mile. So, Jesus has just taught on, right, in verses 15 through 20, if your brother sins against you and he's addressed what happens, what What's the responsibility of that one who has sinned against you? So now Peter is naturally saying, well, what, then what's my responsibility? If I'm the one who's been sinned against, then, then, then how about forgiveness and how often? And how about seven times? Seven times. Man, that's, that's, that's double and beyond what everybody else is saying. Surely that's it. But Jesus, as he often does with, with our notions of morality and, and our notions of what's best and what's righteous, and he turns Peter's calculations on its head, doesn't he? He says, no, no, Peter, not seven times. I, I say 77 times. Your translation may say 70 times seven. I say 77 times. Now, we know what Jesus means here, don't we? We know he's speaking hyperbole. We, we know that he's not saying, get you one of those sticky note pads, keep it in your pocket, and, and a little pencil there, and every time he says that, you make a mark, and, and you keep, keep up with it, and when you get to 78, he's done. 
No one's going to do that. No one's going to be able to keep up with that. Now, I've, I've met a few people that I think probably could keep up with that. But no one's going to do that. And that's the point that Jesus is making. No one's going to do that. Don't keep a record. Don't keep a tally. Don't keep a notepad. Don't keep holding on to it. Don't calculate it. Forgiveness is not regulated by calculation of offenses. Forgiveness does not have a limit in terms of calculation and number. Forgiveness is a state of the heart, not a number to be calculated, not a process to go through, but a state of the heart. Therefore, it knows no limits. It's a condition of the heart. So by 77, Jesus is saying concerning your relation to God and concerning your relation to other, you just keep forgiving. You don't stop at 7. You don't stop at 77. You, You just keep forgiving. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of your relation to God and therefore your relation to other. True forgiveness knows no limits. Now, we might be thinking right now what Peter was probably thinking, and that is, Jesus, that, that's asking too much. Are you really saying we just need to be laid down and be trampled on? I, I don't think that's what Jesus is teaching, by the way. Are, are you really saying that, that no matter how devastating, no matter how heart-wrenching and, and, and life-altering this offense is, no, no matter how deep the hurt runs, are you really saying that we should be forgiving and forgiving and forgiving? So Jesus knows, right? Jesus knows everything, and, and he knows we're going to struggle with this. We're, we're going to struggle with what he's just told to Peter and we need help we need help to to understand a godly view of forgiveness and so he gives this story to Peter and the disciples this parable which really has two main parts right the way the the master deals with this first servant and then the way the first servant deals with the second servant and so when Jesus begins to teach on true forgiveness to explain yes we're we're being told by Christ to just keep forgiving. Don't keep a record. Don't keep a number. Just keep forgiving. Well, how are we to do that? And why are we to do that? And Jesus begins to answer that for us in story fashion. So the second thing we see in verses 23 through 27 is that true forgiveness is modeled after God's forgiveness. True forgiveness is modeled after God's forgiveness. True forgiveness, in other words, flows from the heart of God. It's it's from the heart of God to our heart to others. It doesn't begin with us. And that's the nature of Christ-like living. It doesn't begin with us and, and our own resources and our own strength. It begins with God. It begins with looking to Him. It begins with His strength, His grace, working and flowing through us. And this is where Jesus is directing us now in this story. 
And so he says in verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to. So he's saying, no, no, don't look at it from a human standpoint. Don't look at it, Peter, from just, just you and the offender standpoint. You got to look at it from a kingdom of heaven standpoint. And that's when you begin to understand true forgiveness. And that's when you begin to be able to truly forgive. This is how forgiveness in the kingdom of heaven works. In other words, Jesus is saying, let's look at it from the kingdom of heaven. If we look through those lens, then 77 begins to make sense. If we continue to look at things through our lens, 7 makes a lot of sense. But let's say this is the kingdom of heaven work, this work of forgiveness This is something that that comes from God. This is something that God has initiated. This is something that God does first so that we might do after him. This is how you are to forgive, in other words. So the king, we've already read the story. The king discovers that one of his servants owes him 10,000 talents from what I read about talents in, in that day, in, in our day, if you were to translate, translate that to our day, our economy, our time, this servant owes the king millions of dollars. One commentator said it, it might even, in our standards today, it might even be a, a billion dollars. The point is, the servant owes so much to the king, he'll never repay this. He cannot possibly repay this debt it's 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 an impossible situation for him now it's his own doing it's his debt he has uh, incurred this debt to the king of millions of dollars there's no way he can ever repay this there's no way that he can make this right It's too far beyond him. He's in way too deep. Jesus is teaching us, isn't he? That's us as sinners. That's where we're standing before the king of the universe, before King Jesus. We are standing underneath a debt of our own doing that is impossible for us to repay, impossible for us to make right. It's too far beyond us. It's a dollar figure that we don't have the economy or the resource to reach. There's no way that we can settle our account with God as sinners. If we try to take care of this sin, we've already committed this sin. We can't keep up. It just keeps piling on. The debt just keeps increasing. And we just keep finding ourselves in a, situ- in a hole in which we are digging ourselves. And we are guilty. We are in debt. And we can't get out. Now, here's where this servant is, and the king calls him forward. And, of course, in verse 25, justice is served. So this one who owes 10,000 says, and, and since he could not pay the debt that he owes... That he created, his, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and, and all that he had and payment to be 
made. So not only is he facing punishment, but he's still got to repay that debt. He's still got to get that debt paid. Now he's guilty. He's, he's wronged the king. His only recourse, the, the only way to right this wrong is to pay off the debt. But he'll never be able to pay off the debt, especially now he's in double misery facing the consequence of his indebtedness and still having his indebtedness. This is exactly, Jesus is teaching, this is exactly where we are before the Lord in our sin. We should make it right. But in our circumstances, this is something that is beyond us. This servant is left in a destitute situation of his own making. And that's us as sinners sinning before a holy God. We, we face the punishment. We face the just punishment of our own crimes. And the only way to rectify it is for us to make it right. But we cannot make ourselves right. We cannot undo what we've done. For this servant, his own doing is his undoing. And that's us as sinners. Our own doing is our undoing. His dead is his doom. Our, our sin is our doom. But then comes verses 26 and 27. So, so, so to learn for... To learn true forgiveness, we, we've got to understand where we stand before the Lord. We've got to understand just how much we have been forgiven. And that's where verses 26 and 27 come in. So the, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and, and I will pay you everything. Now, he's not going to ever be able to do that. But boy, he wishes... He could and he hopes the king is going to have mercy. So what he's doing, he's, he's pleading with the king. He's throwing himself at the mercy of the king. And, and wonder of wonders, he finds that this particular king happens to be a king full of compassion. Yes, he is a just king, but he is a compassionate king. And when this servant throws himself, and the king understands he's in a situation he'll never get out of. Yes, he owes me. He, he's indebted to me. He's guilty before me. But he has pleaded with me. He has cried out for mercy. And verse 27 says, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him. You don't have to face the punishment for your indebtedness. But then he goes above and beyond what even the servant could imagine because the servant said, I'll pay you back. King knows he can't do that. And he forgives the debt. Again, this is not $10, right, or a Coke. This is millions of dollars. He just forgives it. It's gone. Slate's clean. Zero balance. Beyond what's expected, beyond what can even be imagined. He not only releases him, but he forgives the debt that's stacked against him. He not only removes the punishment for the crime, he also removes the record of the crime. 
It's as if now this servant never owed the king a dime. Can you imagine that? Jesus is saying, that's you with God. That's how God has forgiven you. That's where you were before God. And that's the work of grace and mercy and forgiveness that God has extended toward you in Christ. He's not only removed the punishment for your sin by placing it on his son. He's removed the record of your sin. Wiped your slate clean. Zero balance by the cleansing blood of Jesus' death on your behalf. You now stand before him reconciled, made right, justified in him. What a powerful picture of God's forgiveness. In our salvation, he not only removes the punishment, he also removes our record. It made me think of, now it's an old song. It used to be a new song, but now it's an old song. I had a debt I could not pay. Remember this one? I had, do you remember this one? Only about five people. Okay, Shane, we got to sing that. I didn't see, but five people shake their head. I had a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. I needed someone to wash my sin away. Now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. All day long, Christ Jesus paid a debt. That I could never pay. That's his servant. That's exactly what Jesus is describing. And he's picturing our salvation. Christ paid the debt we could never pay. We're forgiven. We're forgiven. If we would only cry out to Christ for mercy, Jesus not only releases us from the chains of our own doing, he also forgives us, forgives us of every wrong. The reason why true forgiveness knows no limits is because it's modeled after God's forgiveness. It flows from God's forgiveness towards us. We forgive others as God has forgiven us. We don't forgive others as they have forgiven us. We don't do unto others as they have done to us. We do unto others as we would have them do unto us. The key to knowing the the freeing power of true forgiveness is to forgive others as God has forgiven us. We first have to recognize our indebtedness to God where we stood before God and what Christ has what God has done for us in Christ and where our debt stands now we forgive offenses over and over and over again we don't keep a number we don't keep a record because our offenses against God he has forgiven over and over and over and over and over and over again in Christ No matter how deep the anguish and hurt of those who offend us, our sin against God is far greater. We have never done for others what God has done for us when he forgave us. We have never been offended to the degree that we have offended God. Now, I know what what you may be thinking, what some of you may be thinking. 
that bitterness and hurt and anger is rising up in you and, and you're thinking you have no idea what he's done. Pastor, you no, no one knows how she hurt me. You don't have any idea what you're talking about and asking of me today. There is no way that I can forgive them for how deeply they hurt me. And I would say, you're exactly right. You can't. But you can through Christ. Through Christ, you can. If you keep looking to the hurt, you'll never forgive. But if you look to Christ, you can forgive. If you look to Christ and see his forgiveness, then you can turn and forgive. Only through Christ. His forgiveness knows no bounds. What kind of forgiveness do we need from God, by the way? Would we like for God to stop at 77? I wouldn't be here now. If God stopped at 77, I wouldn't even be here now. When we look to God's forgiveness, and only when we look to God's forgiveness, it's then we will find the strength and the compassion and the love and the humility and the grace that we need to also forgive those who have offended us. And then the second, the second thing of this parable, the second lesson, third point of the sermon, withholding forgiveness is just not an option for believers because we have been forgiven so much we cannot withhold forgiveness from fellow believers. And again, if someone repents, they've shown themselves what? A fellow believer. So Christ is teaching us that we must forgive them as God has forgiven us. Now, verse 28, this is a remarkable, stunning turn of events, isn't it? I mean, you, you, you don't see this coming... You're reading through this parable and there's everything within you is expecting Jesus to say, now when that same servant found out one of his servants owed him a hundred denarii, which a, a denarius is like a, a day's wage. So a hundred days pay, That's compare that to several million dollars. That's the point. Seized him and began to choke him. And to say to him, pay what you owe. This servant acts in a totally opposite manner, right? The, the king was, he was just, but he was compassionate. Well, this servant is totally opposite. In fact, he, he doesn't look, he doesn't act, he doesn't sound anything like his king. This is the point Jesus is driving at. This unforgiving spirit doesn't look anything like your king. 
In fact, he goes beyond to the very extreme of the opposite. And the point is, this servant is missing gratitude, isn't he? He's missing understanding just how far forgiveness has been extended to him, how far in debt he was, how far out of any range of mercy he was, but this king was so compassionate. But the point, that some of the points that Jesus is getting at, you see what this second servant owes the first servant is far less. In fact, now, now it matters. A hundred days pay is a lot. It matters that he's indebted. It matters that he owes, but it can't be compared to what the first servant owes the king. Jesus is using this to illustrate us. What, whatever someone has done to us, it matters. It hurts. It's hard to forgive. It's a real thing, but it simply cannot compare to our indebtedness before God. So this servant reacts even with a violent re- retaliation, doesn't he? he? He doesn't see his, un, his previous undeserving state. And he's choking this guy before he even speaks to him. Did you, did you notice that? He grabs this guy around the neck before he even says anything. He looks nothing. He looks nothing like the king. Now, in verse 29, the servant pleads in the very same way the first servant had pleaded before the king. He falls down. He asks for patience. He promises to repay. He throws himself at the mercy of this servant. He he begs for mercy. But this servant totally forgets, doesn't he? The ingratitude and the pride and the selfishness and the forgetfulness. He totally forgets that he himself had been forgiven a far, far, far greater debt. And he, he withholds any, any mercy, any compassion... And he, he tosses him away. Now, these other, these other witnesses tell the king, and the, 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 the point is that the day of reckoning comes. The day of reckoning always comes. And this servant's brought in, and the king is, the king is just, he, he can't fathom what he's heard, the report that's been given. He, he can't comprehend you wicked servant. And that's the only way to describe what this guy has experienced and how he acted with his fellow servant. The only way to describe that is wickedness. You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you and he delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. In other words, he's not going to get out of jail. So Jesus summarizes then in verse 35. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Withholding forgiveness 
is not an option. It's not an option for believers. You see, there are two sides to reconciliation. The the offender must repent, but the offended must forgive. That's true repentance. That's true forgiveness. That's true reconciliation. What makes it true is it's pattern after God's relation to us. When we truly repent, God truly forgives, and we are truly reconciled to him. Now that relation we have with our Heavenly Father becomes the pattern for all of our relationships with with each and every one around us. And so that pattern of repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation then is to be repeatedly ongoing in our lives, demonstrating that first primary core relationship. You do look like your king. He forgives. He forgives often. He forgives fully. He forgives completely. He forgives without calculation or number. And if we have experienced that type of reconciliation with God, it's the only way we can forgive like that. The only way we can forgive like that is remembering and rejoicing in our reconciliation with God. You see, the gospel is the power for everyday living. We keep going back to the gospel. This is what God has done for us in Christ. And if God has poured out his love and grace and mercy in us to that degree, then that flows from our life to others that we might display that grace to others. That we might show just how wonderful and marvelous that grace of... How can you forgive them? Because God in Christ has forgiven me. How can I not forgive her when God has forgiven me? How can I not forgive him when God has forgiven me? And it displays the worth of Christ and the power of the gospel. As we learned in last week's lesson, those who repent show themselves believers and those who refuse show themselves as unbelieving. In the same way, those who forgive show themselves as those who have known the forgiveness of God. And those who refuse to forgive show themselves as those who have never experienced the forgiveness of God. Or maybe it's been a while since they remembered it. When sin separates brothers, two things must occur. If we truly believe repentance and forgiveness, and both of those works are beyond us. The Bible teaches that repentance is a gift. And we know by experience, in order to forgive that person, we need some grace. Both are difficult to do from the heart, but if we look to God, we will find the strength and grace to treat others as God has treated us in Christ. So we're left 
with a few questions, aren't we, from these two passages of Scripture? Grassy Palm Baptist Church, we all need to ask ourselves this question as individuals and as a church family. Is there some reconciliation that needs to occur in our lives? Is there some reconciliation that needs to occur in our church? And if so, what's our role? What's our part? Where do we stand? Are we in need of repentance? Are we in need of forgiving? What's holding reconciliation back in our, in our family, in our church, in our, in our relationships? What's keeping us from reconciliation? And let's ask God to once again take us to the cross and give us the strength to follow our king. Let's pray. Lord, this is, a, this is a very difficult subject to address and even more difficult to practice because it's not easy when we've been hurt, when trust has been broken, when we've been betrayed, when we've been belittled, discarded, forgotten, neglected slandered, abused, whatever it might be. There is only one way for us to forgive. And that's rejoicing in our own forgiveness. Looking to Christ, looking to the cross, looking to you for grace and strength. It's not an option. Withholding forgiveness is not an option for us, Lord, because you've not called us to be bitter, miserable, miserable people. We don't display the gospel when we're that way. In fact, we say the gospel is of no account when our reputation is that we are, we are a bitter, miserable person and we're supposed to be a Christian. Well, what good is that? Who wants to be that kind of Christian? And it's not an option for us, Father, because you didn't withhold your grace of forgiveness from us. The only way for us to pursue it, Father, is you to pour it into our lives and us to turn to you, find the healing and the restoration and the grace that we need. So, Father, wherever reconciliation needs to occur, and there's no way this many people is in the same place at the same time, and there's no need for reconciliation anywhere. There's a need. Therefore, we need your grace today. You have made us right. Give us the grace to make this right. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.